What's up, Bombshells? Welcome to Bombshell 1111 Podcast, Therapy for Women of Color. My name is Kia, and I'm your host. Generally, podcasts request donations, but I want you to show love by simply subscribing to my social media platforms by visiting my website at www.bombshell1111podcast.com. I want to see thousands of subscribers on this platform. Leave your comments, and I'll show love by shouting you out on my social media platforms, such as Instagram and Facebook. I want to thank you for your continued support as always. And with that being said, let's jump into this new episode. Welcome to Bombshell 1111 Podcast, Therapy for Women of Color, where we discuss mental health and personal development. I'm Kia, and I'm your host. Tonight, we'll be talking about eating disorders, depression, and anxiety with our special guest, Dr. Tavar, clinical psychologist and registered dietitian. So bombshells, let's get to it. Welcome, Dr. Tavar. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And you can just call me Supatra if you like. Okay, see, that may be a little bit too much for me, Dr. Tavar, because I practice with Dr. Tavar. Okay, stick okay, to the Dr. Tavar. Whatever you okay. Yes, okay, we're going to go with the Dr. Tavar. So how are you, Dr. Tavar? How are you? How are you? Thank you so much again for coming on um, and being a part of the podcast and being able to share your knowledge and your tools. I, I love your energy, so I know this is going to be like a great episode. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this topic. Um, and I'm, I'm just very honored to be a guest. Okay, so again, thank you. And Dr. Tavar, let's just go ahead and jump right in. I, okay. I always do like the short bio and a description um, mm-hmm. of the episodes, but I'd love to allow the audience to hear the guests do a short bio um, from the guests and, you know, just to say who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing it for, for and, um, you know, just a little bit about you. So can you give us a little short bio about you, Dr. Tavar? Absolutely, absolutely. I, um, I'm very proud to be, I think there's only one other person like me in the United States who has both, uh, you know, a background as a registered dietitian um, and a psychologist. And in addition to that, I'm also a fitness expert. So I basically formulated my career on how I would be able to provide a more holistic uh, mental health treatment once I completed my doctorate. So I started out in the fitness industry as a Pilates instructor, and that's really where I got um, inspired to go into dietetic therapy because as a Pilates instructor, I was practically a therapist for my private clients anyway, and it would come in and talk about all sorts of you know, their, 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 their lives, their illnesses, their woes, everything. And it was really inspiring not only to see them improve in their physical health, but just to be there for them, um, you know, not necessarily in a therapist position, obviously, but to be there for them and to be able to inspire them to better health. And that's what, you know, when those conversations are what really kind of inspired me to go forward with nutrition because, you know, their fitness challenges, their issues with their bodies, so much coincided with what 
um, nutrition they were following or diet they were following and having difficulties. So I knew that I had to get some more specialized education. So I went into uh, study uh, to get my master's in nutrition with my emphasis uh, being uh, in treating eating disorders. Mm. And I really just wanted to find a way to help people uh, navigate not only through eating disorders, but just any kind of disordered eating, which is just eating out of the norm. And in that process, which is a very long process and a lot of school and a lot of science, (laughs) (laughs) I realized I also didn't have the scope of practice enough to um, really kind of get to the heart of what eating disorders, uh, you know, just what causes them or, or how to treat them uh, from a mental health perspective. And so that's when I really went to even more school and <laughs> rounded out my education and got my doctorate uh, as a clinical psychologist. And my emphasis there was health psychology um, and my dissertation uh, revolved around the eating disorders that come out of bariatric surgery. And the reason why I did that is because they're so complex, there's so many different types of uh, disordered eating patterns that can come out of that, that really when you know enough about that, you can essentially treat almost any eating disorder based on what you learn through that. So I've been doing all of this. This has taken years and years and years, so this is over 20 years of my life. Uh, And I'm now in private practice on doing exactly what I set out to do from the very beginning long ago. And it's absolutely fulfilling and wonderful. I love it. Oh, well, first of all, congratulations on your accomplishment, because I know that that's like a great feeling to have that set and then to actually be doing what you love to do. That makes you just just go even harder for the work. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. And and rewarding at the same time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. So, Dr. Tavar, I love that you talked about um, and and emphasized that um, you specialize in eating disorder because that's the first topic that we're going to jump into tonight. Um, And then after that, we'll get into depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So first off, eating disorders, a lot of individuals, um, they, some do, some don't have an understanding of what an eating disorder uh, may look like. Can you mm-hmm. explain um, to the listening audience what an eating, I'm sorry, an eating disorder looks like? Well, if there's several different types of eating disorders. You, you know, you have your main three, like the, the, the most common three eating disorders. And basically any eating disorder is Uh, you know, the pattern or style of eating that leads to, uh, you know, could be both physical and mental health consequences such as distress and, um, you know, inability to function in one's life. So there's three main ones. One is anorexia nervosa, uh, which is, you know, basically when you look at it, it's characterized by extreme self-starvation. There's, uh, you know, great deal of fear in gaining weight. Uh, you usually see a very, very low body weight, um, usually a BMI of 17 or below. Um, and then the people who experience this also have what's called body dysmorphia, which is, um, you know, a, a view of one's body that's actually not physically accurate. You may see yourself as, you know, much larger than you actually are. Then you have bulimia nervosa, which is characterized by binge eating that is also accompanied by some compensatory behavior like 
uh, vomiting or um, excessive exercise or diuretic use. And that's usually something that you would see at least one time a week for like three months for it to be officially diagnosed. You don't need a particular time frame around anorexia, but you do need that around bulimia nervosa to be uh, diagnosed with that. Uh, then you also have one of the other main three, which is binge eating disorder, which is just binge eating larger amounts than normal in like about two hour time period. Um, and you need to be doing that behavior for uh, one day a week for three months, similar to bulimia nervosa. Both, all of these have to cause significant amounts of distress uh, and impairment in your daily functioning. Those are your three main ones, but you also have people who fall outside of those three or maybe have a combination of, you know, say anorexia or bulimia, anorexia with, you know, bulimic uh, kind of tendencies. Uh, but you also may just see people who experience disordered eating patterns where they don't necessarily fall into um, you know, a, a particular category. Uh, but what we're also seeing a lot of, and it's not even an officially uh, recognized disorder in um, uh, the DSM, is called orthorexia nervosa. And that's characterized by, um, you know, having a, 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 an almost unhealthy, well, actually it is an unhealthy, uh, obsession with uh healthy nutrition or reaching a certain body ideal uh, where they take these kind of irrational actions to avoid unhealthy foods, to seek pure foods. And, you know, you, you, you basically engage in these kind of highly ritualized, very restrictive and selective eating styles. Where I am, which is Los Angeles, I see orthorexia uh, perhaps the most uh, among my uh, my clients, some version of that, whether it's a full-blown uh, disorder or if, you know they they have behaviors that are leading them towards developing orthorexia, and that really kind of comes from what you see out of diet culture, which is you know I think one of the main culprits is the clean eating movement. Uh, people who are very obsessed with, you know, eating only clean food. That's very much a part of uh, the culture in L.A. Before I, I jump to this next question, you, you, you raised another question to my mind because I noticed another mm -hmm. trend. Um, is there a diagnosis, or diagnosis um, for individuals who may have a, an obsession with trying to gain a particular weight? Well, there's really nothing, you know, it, it really kind of depends on what you mean by gain a particular weight, but there's, you know, more often than not, uh, they may fall into the binge eating kind of other specified category, especially if their attempts to gain weight um, fall more into binging. But you don't tend to see that as much um, as people who are, you know, kind of really trying to control and lose weight. You do see uh, that style with binge eating disorder. People tend to kind of fall into that out of, you know, sometimes reasons to try to lose weight. And because when you do that physiologically, you're trying to lose weight, you restrict yourself so much, 
your hormones get out of whack and what what your body tries to do is compensate for the restriction. So your hormones, especially ghrelin, which is your hunger hormone, will ramp up, ramp up, ramp up, and you'll get so obsessed and hungry and, and needing food that that's what usually kind of tends to um, starting a binge. And so, Dr. Tabar, when we talk about eating disorders, we tend to hear about young women and eating Mm -hmm. disorders. But Mm -hmm. are there other groups of people that are more often affected by eating disorders? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say more often, but I think that the, um, the, the, the tendency for the media to focus on, especially young white women, um, and they really kind of focus on the most what they say is extreme eating disorder where you, you know, you'll see the body types that are, you know, very skeletal and very thin and frail and, um, you know, obviously anorexic, but there, it affects, the eating problems, eating disorders affect everyone. And I think that, you know, the people that tend to get ignored the most are men. Um, and men, I think, you know, suffer, perhaps even equally, but are kind of ignored in the community or they don't feel like, um, you know, they have a place to seek help. There's just not that many that tend to seek help, maybe perhaps more for like binge eating disorder and things like that, uh, especially if they're very overweight, but you see it, you know, especially orthorexia in men um, in, 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 in areas like LA. Um, you also see it in older women, older men, um, but it's less talked about. So I think that, you know, just really gaining an awareness um, of it being more of a global problem than anything else. And the reason why I say that is because I believe in our country, we are inundated with diet culture. I am categorically anti-diet, even though I have diet in my title as dietitian. Uh, because I see how much diet culture is affecting uh, not only, you know, our food choices and the ways, you know, that we eat, but also how we feel about how we look. And that's because, you know, diet culture is promoting a certain bias called lookism, which is the preferential treatment of good-looking people. And at the same time, vilifying people who are um, may have extra weight, who might be overweight or who, who might be obese, uh, through weightism, which is the bias against people who have excess weight. So if you look at this in our country, it's, it's, it's pervasive. It's everywhere. It's in everything that we look at. So in that being so pervasive, I think everyone um, has a tendency to at least have some kind of disordered eating pattern or negative view of their body because of the culture we live in. And Dr. Tavar, when we talk about treatment for eating disorders um, within your work experience, have there been any recent developments and research on treatment for eating disorders? Absolutely. I, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, you know, interesting new studies that are out there. There are always interesting new studies. My my dissertation focused on the newer uh, uh, treatment for eating disorders of using mindfulness uh, types of therapies. And that's actually what I use in my own practice because I am 
such a huge pro- proponent of mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy as a um, as a treatment for um, disordered eating, but also just for you know kind of almost any issue or problem. Um, but what we're seeing is um, in other research, uh, there there can be potential predictors. Like there was a study that showed that. Um, Negative affects, just meaning like, you know, emotional kinds of distress uh, with also interpersonal functioning that's impaired, meaning you have uh, relationships that are strained, whether they're in your family or they're in your, you know, social network, can be a predictor of eating disorder uh, types, both uh, all for like anorexia, bulimia and binge eating disorder. So that can really point the way for clinicians to uncover even uh, eating disorders that they may not have, you know, assessed for in their original clinical interview with their with their clients. Uh, there's also sh- like some links that are starting to be established between autoimmune disorders and eating disorders, such as celiac disease, um, and that's helpful when you, you know, say as a doctor, you may have somebody who's coming in for celiac disease. Well. If you know about this link, you can also help to assess them for an eating disorder. There's also new drugs out there. Uh, Vyvanse is one, and that's a, a drug used uh, now to start to treat binge eating disorder, and there's seen some effectiveness with that. Um, there's also uh, studies out there that are looking for genetic links, and they may they think that they may have found a genetic link um, that ties uh, somebody to um, the propensity for anorexia nervosa. So I think in the future, what we're going to see a lot of is potential genetic testing. Uh, we're going to see more specialized um, treatments uh, via uh, prescription medication um, and just better ways to assess people for eating disorders. It's kind of neat what's happening out there. And with that being said, in addition to treatment, how can someone best help support and you know just even help someone who has been diagnosed with an eating disorder well I think the main thing is you know encouraging if they're not already in treatment for them to go into treatment I think that's the number one thing in eating disorders uh, because of their complex nature they require you know in many cases a team-based effort you often see uh, you know everybody from a medical doctor a uh, registered dietitian, a psych- uh, psychologist, um, you know, maybe even an occupational therapist who may help, uh, you know, kind of getting somebody back into the mechanics even of eating. Uh, so it's really important to encourage uh, treatment and to destigmatize uh, being in therapy. I think a lot of people tend to, you know, put a label on like, oh, you're, you know, you're the patient, you're the one with the problem. But no, it's really you, you're seeking extra help. You are um, bettering yourself. How you couch treatment is very important. I also think that unconditional support, of course, is absolutely important. I also encourage family members that I have you know, co-joint family sessions with with my clients to never, ever, ever, and this is very important, and I hope this this point really comes through, to never, ever comment on anybody's weight or shape ever, but especially with the person who's seeking treatment. 
because you could be triggering things that you have no idea uh, you know, are, are detrimental, even if you think that you are well-meaning. Even if we say somebody's suffering from anorexia nervosa and you say, oh, it's lovely to see you gaining weight, that might send that person into a spiral. It is so much better to comment on somebody's inherent inner qualities and really encourage them to look for that sense in themselves rather than focusing on, focusing on their external uh, qualities. I also think that having family sessions um, is vital. I mean, you know, interpersonal treatment, uh, meaning familial treatment is very important in, in eating disorders because oftentimes those behaviors can start, you know, from the caregivers. And if you can help kind of treat the whole family, you certainly are helping to treat the individual. So, those are kind of my, my main suggestions for people who, who know somebody who's, who's suffering from any of these disorders. Well, thank you, Dr. Tavar, for um, your feedback and your knowledge and tools on um, eating disorders. And now I want to jump into uh, depression and anxiety, but I also want mm-hmm. to leave some room at the end of the podcast for you to be able to give the listening audience some information about the services that you provide, how you provide those mm-hmm. services, just in case there's someone listening um, that Absolutely. may be able to benefit from the services that you provide. <clears throat> Great. So let's talk about depression and anxiety. Um, some people, you know, can just tend to say I'm depressed if they just feel sad um, over mm-hmm. certain situations. But what is the clinical definition over um, I'm sorry, what is the clinical definition for depression and anxiety? Well, for depression, it's really having a long-standing, you know, at the very least a couple of weeks, but most often it's longer-standing, persistent feeling of sadness, you have a loss of interest. Um, that also can lead to a whole bunch of different behavioral, physical symptoms like loss of sleep, uh, loss or you know, gain of uh, excessive appetite, uh, usually a low energy level, uh, difficulties in concentration, um, problems with self-esteem. Um, you may even see people who have uh, thoughts of, of suicide. Um, so it's really just, it, you know, everything that you can think of in terms of depression, we see, you know, depressed people, the inability to get out of bed sometimes, um, agitation, a lot of crying, irritability, restlessness, uh, mood swings, or just persistent sadness is, is generally what you would see in depression. And then in anxiety, it's really about constant worry. It's about being restless. It's about having difficulty concentrating. You'll see a lot of somatic or body symptoms like fatigue, uh, lightheadedness. You may even see a propensity towards panic attacks or excessive sweating. There's like a hypervigilance that happens, uh, restlessness and irritability. Um, having difficulty concentrating, having difficulty, you know, controlling one's thoughts, a lot of fears, and with that comes, you know, lack of sleep and headache and nausea and um, trembling, uh, that kind of thing. Can a person have both depression and or anxiety? Absolutely. I see it all the time. (laughs) I think, you know, especially when you look at this pandemic alone, 
uh, you know, that is when my practice went absolutely full uh, to the gills. You saw people who were really suffering about the loss of their jobs, um, really depressed about the loss of their freedom in their lives, and then it's excessive worry, obviously, about where this pandemic was going and if it would affect them and what would they have to do to make themselves safe. I saw people losing sleep. So yes, absolutely, 100%. I think they often coincide together, which is why I am such a proponent of mindfulness, because I do think that depression is, you know, sadness that's rooted in some kind of ruefulness in the past, and anxiety is fear and worry and doubt about the future, Mm. and mindfulness is learning how to be in the present moment, and when you're in the present moment, and you really learn how to do that, and present moment meaning a non-judgmental, open-hearted awareness of the present moment, meaning you are absolutely aware of all of your senses, you are letting your mind just be rather than do, meaning you're just focusing on what's right in front of you. That, in my opinion, is where happiness lies. Oh, similar to the law of assumption. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm, I'm learning more about that now. And it's just, you, you're seeing so many things that have been coming up in the videos I've been watching. So, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Dr. Tavar, when it comes to depression and anxiety, there are many forms. Um, but mm-hmm. within your practice, have you, can you just talk about a few that you've seen more so than others um, in reference to depression mm-hmm. and anxiety? Yeah, most often I see major depression. That's, you know, your your categorical depression. You may even see persistent depressive disorder, which is over the two-week time period, you know, can last years and years. I, I see that very often. And the most often anxiety disorder I see is generalized anxiety disorder. Um, but I also with actually uh, younger kids have started to um, see a lot of tics, which is an anxiety-based mm-hmm. disorder. <clears throat> I see OCD-like behaviors, if not full-blown OCD. So, um, you know, it, it, it really does depend, but most often it's either major depression, persistent depression, and, uh, and generalized anxiety disorder. Um, are there medication and treatments available to treat depression and anxiety? And if so, mm-hmm. can you just discuss the, 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 a few that are most common? Right. Well, your SSRIs, which are your depression treatments, um, are the most common for both, actually. Um, doctors might prescribe you an anti-anxiety medication, something like Xanax, but it's less common because there's such a propensity for dependence and the potential for any kind of overdose, especially if somebody's combining alcohol. So it's, it's, you know, you may see older school doctors prescribing that more, which I would definitely like have a little alarm bell go off if you have a doctor who's, you know, really trying to push something like Xanax on you, uh, because overall what they're seeing the most, um, you know, safe and effective treatment for both anxiety and depression are generally the SSRIs. And then to close out um, our discussion on depression and anxiety, Dr. Tavar, 
How can a person help and support someone who has been diagnosed with depression and or anxiety? I, I really think it's kind of similar to what I said in terms of uh, eating disorders. What people want more than anything is to know someone's there for them. You don't have to do a whole lot. You actually don't have to try to tackle it and fix it for somebody. And often when you do, you you probably will be met with resistance. Um, you have to, you know, kind of meet somebody where they're at. And oftentimes, if you're not the, you know, clinical professional who's treating it, the person just wants somebody to be there to listen, um, to provide support. You know, it, it even just to sit next to them and just so that they know that they're there. Um, but if say you're in the family with them, you may, you know. Uh, offer yourself to be a part of family therapy because if the depression is centered around issues within the family, helping to resolve those with a therapist can be really helpful. If you're a friend, just, you know, constant check-ins and just making sure the person's okay. And, you know, you want to go to lunch, would you like to take a walk? That can be so healing and therapeutic for anybody suffering from either of those So thank you so much, Dr. Tavar, for all of that knowledge in reference to eating disorders, depression, and anxiety. Now I want to spend the last few minutes of the podcast talking about the services that you provide. Mm -hmm. Um, So can you share with the listening audience um, the information, information about how you provide services, whether that's in person, via online, Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. the type of services that you provide and the way that they can contact you? Absolutely. Uh, right now, I am completely online because of because uh, of COVID. Um, it's just not my desire to wear a mask in session, and I'm right. pretty you know diligent about that. And I just need to see somebody's face. So I I provide solely uh, a therapy online. I also am taking on an associate, which uh, she'll be starting in a couple months, probably in a month and a half. Um, and, and really, uh, you know, at this point, I'm, I'm getting quite full and I do have a couple slots open, but I, I'm getting full enough where I'm going to be needing some extra help, which is um, really wonderful. Um, but I provide individual couples and family uh, services online. In addition to that, right now what I'm doing is um, uh, in the tail end of developing an online course called Deprogrammed Diet Culture. And this is, you know, really a, a big part of my greater mission to help people um, to really tr- start to reject diet culture on all levels and learn how to stop listening to what everyone else is telling them in terms of how to lose weight, how to be fit, how to whatever uh, fit in, and really learn, relearn how to tune into themselves trusting themselves in terms of what and how much they eat, Uh, relearning how to be kinder to themselves in terms of looking at uh, their thoughts about themselves and their skewed thoughts about food and how to restructure that thinking and how to make behavioral changes that last for your lifetime. Um, So that course will be coming out most likely in about January or February of next year. So that I'm very excited to offer because I think it provides a really amazing roadmap um, 
in terms of, say you've been dieting for forever, how to stop doing that forever and adopt a style of eating that works for you on your own terms. Um, and I think it's going to be really successful. What I've been uh, using, you know, in therapy with my clients and seeing success with. Congratulations on that, Dr. Tavar. Thank you. That will be offered. If, you know, you can reach me through my website, which is uh, tovar.com All one word. I'm sure you'll probably put it in the um, in in the bio uh, underneath. And if anybody from this podcast wants to take my course, um, if they mention your podcast, they can get a 15 percent discount. Woo, 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 woo. So you yes. guys make sure you mention this podcast so you can get That's that right. discount. That's right. And then you guys, I'll also make sure to um, put that in the description um, as well. So you guys can have that information as well, just in case you guys do want to check that out. Um, yeah. And so Dr. Tavaro, I'll make sure I have that there as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. And so you guys, that brings us to the end of this episode. And Dr. Tavar, I want to thank you so much for coming on and being a part of the podcast and sharing your knowledge and tools. I really, really enjoyed this episode with you. I love your energy. You are so knowledgeable. Um, and well, so, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so thank you so much for coming on. We had to reschedule a couple of times, but it all happened in divine time. That's right. I really <laughs> appreciate you having me on. You are an absolutely wonderful host and just a joy of a person. So I'm really glad to have had this opportunity with you. Thank you so much. And I hope for you to come back and share some more knowledge and tools with, you know, us again in the future. Absolutely. I'll be back anytime you want me. Thank you. And so you guys, we hope that you were able to hear something beneficial. Um, if you enjoyed our show, please rate and review us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Give us a big fat thumbs up on our YouTube channel at Bombshell TV. And with that being said, as always, thanks for listening. And always remember, you are a bomb within your own shell. Peace, love, and light, you guys. Good night. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Rate, review, and share this podcast with your family and friends. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you're leaving with some valuable information that can help you on your personal journey. Also, check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Bombshell1111 or at Bombshell1111 TV. You can also check out our mental health page, Your Health is Your Wealth, on Facebook, which is a page created to inform and support individuals with mental health and other health conditions. And with that being said, always remember, you guys, you are a bomb within your own shell. Until next time, peace, love, and light.